Welcome to the No Film School podcast. This is Gigi Hawkins. And this week I'm speaking with writer, director, Lulu Wong, director of The Farewell and the new Amazon limited series, Expats, a six-part series that's based on this best-selling novel, The Expatriates by Janice Y.K. Lee. And it stars Nicole Kidman, Saru Blue, Jiang Yu, and Jack Houston and Brian T. It's a bomb cast and it's a really amazing show. And I first came across Lulu on This American Life, where she told the story that went on to become the story of The Farewell, a a very personal story. If you haven't seen it, I don't know what you're doing with your life. And I remember making a little event of going to this opening weekend with a friend who I had lived in China with. And we wanted to support this film by going opening weekend. You know, it can make a big difference. Well, it turned out that The Farewell opened in limited release and ended up grossing more per theater than the average of Avengers Endgame. And I think that's just such an awesome success story. A few years later, I was lucky enough to work for a summer for Danny Melia, who produced The Farewell and went on to start a production company with Lulu called Local Time. And this is actually where I got to drop in on the production of Expats. It was my first time on a real set. I mean, I had been on indie productions and student films, and it really was my first introduction to this industry. I learned a ton through that experience and about how a show this ambitious is made and how the industry works as a whole. So I'm sure you can imagine I was super excited to be speaking with Lulu after seeing the series, which by the way, is super powerful and unyielding and beautiful and really entering a space that I don't think we get to experience that much in episodic. So in today's interview, Lulu shared her experience coming to this project, how she navigated storytelling from so many different perspectives. And she let us in on the piece of gear that she always tries to have with her while location scouting. And let's just say it made my podcaster heart very happy. And now my interview with Lulu Wong. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, welcome, Lulu, to the No Film to the No Film School podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Gigi. Well, congratulations on the series being out in the world when this episode airs. How does it feel? It is a relief. It is. It's. It's exciting. I guess. Yeah. It's been a long time in the making, and so I'm excited for it to be out in the world. So the series is based on the best-selling novel, The Expatriates. How did you come to the project originally? And can you tell us about your work developing the story for the screen via the writer's room? Yeah, so Nicole Kidman had optioned the book about a year or two before she met me. And um, when she saw The Farewell, she called me and wanted to you know, collaborate on this project. And I initially said, no, I passed 
on it because it just felt, you know, so typical Hollywood. Like I make something really small about my grandmother and then they're going to approach me with big stars and big studios and I would lose control at, you know, of my own voice and of my own creative ability to control the creative vision while I'm still trying to figure out what, you know, what my voice is. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I can't do this. Um, and then, she, you know, Nicole said, let's go to dinner. I need to convince you. And so, and she did, she said, you know, you can have total creative freedom and I'll really support you and whatever your vision is. And I want you to, you know, take a different perspective than what might be traditionally done. And so I couldn't say no. Throughout the the process, how did you protect that creative vision and, and moving into something that is such a high production, huge budget, working with a studio? How did you protect that voice along the way? I think I had to really rely on my collaborators even more so. Most of them I worked with on The Farewell. But, you know, a lot of them, like my cinematographer, my production designer, they're much more protected from the craziness of the industry. You know, like just all of the stuff that comes with being in this industry, they're so much more about the crafts, you know, and and so I relied on them. I would say, you know, we would come, we would discuss our ideas. We would come up with those ideas. And, and I knew the reason why we came up with these ideas. We knew, I knew what was important to us. And so then if someone said, well, what, what, we don't have to shoot this character. Let's just cut them out. You know, then I was able to go, no, this is the fundamental reason why I'm making this series. Yes, it's a series called Expats, but in many ways that's ironic because it's really pointing a lens to all of the other people around the expats and really, you know, exploring privilege and and criticizing it in some ways while not necessarily judging it but just, you know, able to kind of show the context of of the world of that we're in outside of just the expat bubble. And so that was always the guiding force was like, yes, I'm making Nicole Kidman series. I'm making an Amazon series, but I'm also making something for, you know, my grandmother, my family, and the people back home that, you know, are I see reflected through characters like Essie and Puri and a lot of the foreign overseas workers that are in the series. That that through line of protecting the creative, which I got to see some of when working on the show, was so apparent when watching the series and it was so cool to see the final the final story that you told and it let us explore so many different stories and so many different elements of this this world and it was it was very powerful and it's so impressive that as a viewer you can track that throughout and you can feel that throughout and i think there's a a patience and beauty with how just shot by shot everything unfolds. So I'd love to hear about how you work with your cinematographer who this is, you know, not your first project working together and what that process is especially in pre-production. Yeah, Anna and I you know, watch a lot of films together. We look at mostly a lot of um photography. We start to pull references for each other and she's just so 
she has just such incredible taste, you know, and such a sense of story. She never wants to shoot just for beauty because also beauty is very subjective and it has to function within the context of the story. And so we talked about it being quite different from the farewell. There there are moments, of course, in which we go, oh, this is like a farewell moment. We're in a white Mm. room. You know, there's a lot of negative space and we're just like leaning and embracing that negative space. But in many ways, we also wanted to expand our visual language. And we talked about having very specific ideas. That's where we always start is with every episode, every scene, we start with what's the big idea? Okay, so episode four is very static. They're all in trapped in these rooms mm-hmm. and it's a lot of dialogue, but we don't want it to feel stiff. So what if episode four, we have a rule for ourselves. It's all handheld. You know, we're never going to use a tripod. It's not a lot of flowing choreographed moving camera. It's just more cinema verite. And then episode five, is actually closer to the farewell. It's much more about the landscape of people, the landscape of Hong Kong. It's a wider aspect ratio. There's a lot of blocking and choreography between camera and characters. So, you know, every episode had that kind of idea going into it. And then we would do that with each individual scene as well. We we would never just go in and go, well, let's you know, light it this way and then we'll just cover it. Every Mm -hmm. shot was considered. And if there was coverage in the scene, it was because we don't tend to do a lot of coverage. And when we do cover it, it's for a very specific reason. And it's often also to juxtapose the scene before. We talk a lot about transitions, like what happened in, in, in the moments before and then what's the scene after this scene. And so we were constantly, you know, because we're shooting out of order, six episodes, six and a half hours of content. Sometimes the scene right before the scene we're currently shooting, we had done six months ago. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, I don't even remember what we shot and how does it look? And so we would constantly have to go back and forth. Now, the the episode five, which you, you know, specifically called out just now, the penultimate penultimate episode, it it feels like it stands alone as a film and it premiered at TIFF. And I, I, what was the origin of creating this almost film within a limited series? And, and what, what has surprised you about that? Yeah, it was very much just coming from a place of wanting to break from convention, you know, both in form what we could do in television and, and, and challenge this idea of like television versus film. What's a movie? What's not a movie? Is it dependent mm-hmm. on where you see it? Is it dependent on how you shoot it? Like who gets to determine all of that? I like when things are messy. I, I, ha- I always have those questions and I'm intrigued by these types of questions. And oftentimes there's no easy answer. And I think part of the excitement is to realize there is no answer, but we can still discuss it and debate it. And the answer is somewhere in the mix, in, mm-hmm. in, in between, you know, the right and the left. It's somewhere in the middle somewhere and it's different for everybody. So um, it just felt right to kind of go, well, this is a tapestry. There's so many different characters. We can enter this world 
so many different ways. Who's to say, like, we have to start with the expats um, and they're the ones that we meet first. Because if you met me in my life, you know, 30 years ago, you met me as a young Chinese immigrant girl, you know, who was like struggling to belong and to fit in. But if you meet me now, you see someone maybe that's much more confident and established in their work. And those are both the same person, right? And the context in which how it, the context through which you meet someone colors the way that you see them. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I felt about this world. And I wanted episode five to be really large in scope and to stand alone because I also wanted to say that they don't only exist in the context of the expats' lives. Like their lives and their stories can exist on their own. You can watch only episode five and not watch the rest of the series and come away with, get just as much out of it. Yeah, it's it's so powerful to be able to tell that and have everything else fall away. One of the things that just stands out is the power of this entire cast and they're just it's sort of this relentless performance of vulnerability at every stage of every episode and every scene and and it feels like the way you wrote the story along with the other people who worked on the in the writer's room it gives every character at who you see like an entire life outside of what the camera shows us and and that is that is something that you know I don't feel like we always get in standard television or even movies. So I'd love to hear more about the process of building the writers' room. You had this all female writers' room, and how you navigated bringing this world of the book to this episodic uh, story. Yeah, I didn't set out to necessarily have an all-female writer's room. I set out just to have the best writers for this story and have writers that could represent points of views that I wasn't as familiar with and that could challenge my point of view and that would be really different from me. And I always see that as such a blessing if someone actually tells me that I'm wrong or that I can do things better as you're developing something, because that's where you're pushing yourself to be better and better. And if your ego gets in the way of that, like you're the one who suffers because your project's not as good. So, you know, I just looked for really smart people and they happen to all be women and they happen to have these incredible perspectives that we don't get to see very often, which is exciting to me. Oh, like I never thought about that. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's dig deeper into that. Oh, like I had no idea that for um, women with darker skin tone, that they didn't have makeup, you know, and, and, and that, you know, because makeup companies were only using, making like two, two shades, like one shade of black, and then all the other shades were like shades of, for light, fair skin. And, and I had no idea, just, just all those specific Things like, you know, of how Hillary puts on makeup and uses like the red concealer as a way to hide, like all those things. I just thought, wow, like what a world. And so it was just beautiful to be able to have the freedom, the five of us in an office in Culver City, ordering food and drinking bubble tea to mm-hmm. 
talk about our lives, talk about our traumas, talk about our fears, talk about our hopes, talk about what we love. And even when we debated things, it's like one of the few places in a writer's room where you have to work through your differences. You can't just Mm -hmm. be like, unfollow, block. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like you have to go, okay, well, you guys don't agree nobody's wrong. You can't, it, right. that's not the point, right? It's, well, let's, can we put that into the, into the scripts? Can we make these characters have differences of opinions? And we were just always challenging ourselves in that way of, oh, are we being too myopic? Are we still being too myopic? Trying to constantly expand. This might sound like a sort of very 101 question, but I think it's really important for our listeners to understand the power of healthy creative tension mm-hmm. and and especially when it can feel uncomfortable to be sort of like pushing back or not agreeing, especially when you're telling stories that are pers- deeply personal and vulnerable and we're putting ourselves in there. So so would you mind like talking us through a moment where, you know, there was that that tension and and how you sort of navigated it and created space to work through it within in the writers room? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, one example I'll give is that Gersimran Santu is Indian American and she's Sikh. Sikh, I think some people say, but I think it's pronounced Sikh. And she wanted to explore a lot of her own personal experiences in the show. But there was definitely, you know, this question of, well, there's such little Sikh representation in media. We have to be really careful about it and how are we doing it responsibly? And so this is, that question kept coming up of, is it okay to show this? Is it okay to show the father character who, you know, would in reality, in real life, perhaps wear a turban, but he's also got an abusive past And we were really careful about that. We were like, do we really want to put that image? You know, there's Mm -hmm. already so much discrimination. And so, but I also didn't want to not give Gersimran, who is a sick woman who's had these experiences, to limit her ability to tell her own story. And so that was just something we were like, well, let's stay aware of that. Let's keep talking about it. But ultimately, it is Gersimran's story. It is her life. And so you know, she's done like how many seasons of Game of Thrones and all these other shows as a writer and never had a chance to explore her own stories. So, and then we had the same conversation with Star You Blue when we cast her, where she was mm-hmm. like, well, I'm not sick. So how can I play this character and represent? And and so I put them all, all three of us got on several phone calls and just talked it all out. So those are the things that, you know, I think it's just about having a process to the best Mm -hmm. of your ability and to have the really difficult conversations. Yeah. The the process of making the the series was extensive to say the least. You all shot in Hong Kong. You also shot Hong Kong, LA for Hong Kong, mainland China in LA. You know, you've really embraced filming abroad. How did you sort of keep that through line, especially when you you know you were moving from production abroad to bring it here in LA and make sure you were filming in a way that felt authentic to the the location that you were trying to portray? 
Well, it was really important to me, first of all, to shoot predominantly on location in Hong Kong. And that was something that I fought for. So uh, the majority of it is shot in Hong Kong. And once I knew I had that, like the the main texture of Hong Kong, the locations, the really specific locations, like these alleyways and these like apartment, smaller apartments and restaurants, then I felt more comfortable constructing, you know, things that are less specific, like the expats apartment, for example, like in a way that was meant to feel like a bubble Mm -hmm. and separated from Hong Kong. And so that was a real challenge because we'd never built a set of that size before. And we also needed it to rain on that set. And so that was a set that we built in Hong Kong. And we also built it in Los Angeles and just did a lot of research um, in how some specific foreign films had done that, that you would never guess that it was shot on a set. And they had these like very specific tricks and, you know, making it much higher off the ground Hmm. than you would think having a certain amount of distance between the backdrop and 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 the camera and like the between the backdrop and the building the windows you know to create more depth so yeah and then the other thing we did was like none of the locations were made up even if we built it on a stage it was based on a real location that we had scouted and I, and you know, we would change little things. We'd be like, okay, can we move the door over by three feet so that it like fits in the frame and is more, but in terms of the details and things like that, we, we, we just copied it from real locations that we found. And we even flew materials from Hong Kong. Like there's certain piles and certain, you know, the metal door on a particular apartment. Like you just don't find those materials here mm-hmm. and they add so much of the texture to the reality. Yeah. The, the the other texture that felt that I think was my favorite thing to see in the final product was the sound design and the sound of Hong Kong. You make some, I think, really powerful choices in letting the sound carry the audience through. And I'd love to hear about what that process was and the, the idea behind some of the decisions you made with sound design, specifically towards the end of episodes. Was the end of episodes? Well, first of all, I always like to travel with uh, Zoom HD so that as I'm location scouting, as I'm, you know, walking around, if I hear something that's interesting, I just record it. And I did that on mm-hmm. the farewell too. Like I recorded the, I just remember the haunting sound of this like street vendor selling, you know, I didn't, I don't know Chinese well enough. I didn't know what he was selling necessarily, but it was just this, it was coming out of a recorder and repeating over and over. And it mimicked the repetition of my uncle being like, you know, you can't tell her she loves you very much, but we can't. So Mm -hmm. it just had this energy. And I, so I recorded it and we actually used that exact audio file in the movie. And so I realized that that's really valuable because sometimes you hear something, even if you can just record it on your iPhone, it's, it's something that's so hard to recreate sometimes Mm -hmm. or you just forget about it. So that's one thing that I do. And also because I'm a classically trained pianist from a young age, 
I think that music is one of my first languages. And it's one of those things like any language, when you learn it from a young age, you don't have to think about it. You're not thinking, how do I say this? It's just part of you. You close your eyes, you dream in that language. Mm. It's part of your subconscious. And so I think that sound for me is often subconscious. It's a kind of rhythm. It's a kind of melody. And it's about juxtaposition, you know, where Mm. sometimes you go really, really loud and then you cut all of that off and it's just silence. And in music, that's like a rest, right? Mm -hmm. And you have have a rest. And then all of a sudden, dun, 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 you know, you have like the the full orchestra comes in and that contrast that is jarring and really you feel so much in that. And so that was a way, for example, to show life moving on, you know, Mm -hmm. after quiet of the of the night market when everything is dead silent and eerie and then people start coming and and building the market and all of these sounds and it's just so sad because it's like life is moving on Mm so yeah those are just a few examples oh I love it I got like sound chills I Uh, love sound one of my (laughs) so fun and it's like incredible how much it like expands the scene in ways that you don't even imagine. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd love to pivot to hear more about Local Time. So this is the first official Local Time project that is out in the world. This is your new production company that you created with Danny Melia. Talk to us about what you're doing and and the kinds of stories you're, you're looking to tell. Thank you. Yeah, Danny and I work so well together. She produced The Farewell. She produced expats with me. And we created this company to support, to mainly support other filmmakers, you know, other directors, because I've both on the farewell and expats, like I've realized how important it is to protect the creative vision. And sometimes there can be too many cooks in the kitchen and um, it's important to, you know, navigate that. And I had that kind of support from Chris Weitz, for example, on The Farewell, who just asked me the right kinds of questions and helped me interpret notes. And he himself is a writer-director. And mm. so Danny and I talked about, you know, that that I would be able to bring that same kind of guidance to newer voices for people who perhaps are, are you know, writing and making a, their first feature or their first TV series, but also we're working with a lot of novelists. Mm-hmm. I worked with Janice Y.K. Lee in the writer's room. Like I brought her in and she was amazing. You know, she was like not precious about her own material, had such a specific point of view and a unique voice that we don't often get to have in television because she's coming from a different world. And so now we're working with a lot of novelists and helping to guide them to write their own pilots and their own adaptations and partnering them with showrunners, you know, and what have you. Well, I can't wait to see what comes next out of local time. And as we wrap up here, it's a choose your own adventure moment. We usually wrap up asking our guests to give advice for emerging filmmakers, folks who may be jumping into their first short or just figuring out how to get their start. But recently we had an episode where we talked about our lowest lows 
in oh. this process. And, and we've had a ton of listeners reach out saying how much that resonated as well. So advice for emerging filmmakers or surviving your lowest lows, you get to choose. Oh boy. I'm trying to think of something that's kind of in between because I think that they're connected, you know, both of Absolutely. Like, both of these things. I guess my advice for filmmakers is to not follow the trend. And I know that that's been said before, but it's really important because if you follow the trend, you're always going to be a step behind. And so many people will tell you, this is what we're looking for. This is the trend. And you can keep chasing that or you can make something that resonates for you, that feels deeply personal, that feels weird, that feels unique to your experience and the way you see the world. And, um, and you know, you're, make something that's going to entertain your best friend, your mother, your sister, your dog. You know, if you can do that, then you can expand and grow from there. But if you're chasing mm-hmm. trends, you're just always going to be a step behind. That's such great advice. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations again on, on expats. Thanks, Gigi. Great talking to you. You too. Thank you so much for joining us, Lulu. We hope to have you back soon. It's so cool to see a a leader who is a creative, who stands by their vision and empowers others to stick with that creative vision and what they bring to the table. It's very cool to see that with a project that carries such weight with the star power of Nicole Kidman, for example. And it's amazing to see it in action and to see the other side of it. I appreciate Lulu being so candid and open about her process and experience. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. You can get more No Film School at nofilmschool.com. You can also like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Finally, you can follow us on social media at No Film School. Thank you so much for listening. 